Welcome to Mom Cave Live, where we may have lost our minds, but we haven't lost our sense of humor. I'm Jen, <laughs> and I'm here with the very humorous Elizabeth, <laughs> who <laughs> Elizabeth wrote a book that we're going to talk about that is going to save all of your asses, I think. And this is it. <laughs> yeah, that's um, it. It's Don't Be a Pussy, a politically incorrect book for entitled teens and their traumatized parents. Oh, hi. It's a tough title. It's a tough title, but it, it, like does, it. it does digest eventually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell you know, there's a there's a page in the very beginning of the book that shows the the root of this word pussy, P-U-S-I. Can you explain mm-hmm. that? Yeah. So pussy latimus some is pussy latimus means someone who lacks conviction and wherewithal and stick-to-itiveness and all the things that the expression don't be a pussy, what we know today, um, means. So I kind of use that word once as a joke with my son. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, I was, I, oh, sorry about that. No I use that once, uh, once I, I really had that one of those parenting moments where I just had enough and I kind of went, Oh, for God's sake, just don't be a pussy. Now they kind of burst into laughter. They kind of laughed. Um, it wasn't like the traumatizing effect you would imagine that it would have on some kids, but no, they thought it was, they were teenage boys. So they were like, are you serious? So and I realized, wow, I'm, I'm speaking their language, right? This is the language of a teenage boy. And he heard me, he laughed, but he heard me. And it kind of became a family thing. It became funny. Right. Um, yeah. and I think it was after I, I read that Dr. Seuss was canceled, which was one of my, is one of my favorite children's books. And to this day, I love the rhyming and the humor in Dr. Seuss. Yeah. And were thinking, well, someone's going to have to kick up the Dr. Seuss, you know, tradition here. And then right. like, yeah, canceled, you might as well come in. Exactly. Someone else is going to have to pick this up. And then I said, well, I mean, I don't know. We could call it like, don't be a pussy as a joke. And I was sitting around and it was COVID and we had a lot of free time. And it just kind of rolled out of me. I mean, it just really, really rolled out of me. And my, my whole family thought it was pretty hilarious. So then I thought, well, why not? Let's publish it and see. And it, as I was saying earlier, initially, a lot of people um, had a pushback about a year and a half ago. People said, my God, the word. And I said, well, hold on. Like, let's look at the you know original meaning of this word. And arguably, it's where the expression came from, actually. Um, so you can't really cancel me on that. Yeah. No. So, um, and then now I feel like people are coming back saying, hold on, what was it we were supposed to do with our kids? Cause we have got these really entitled teenagers and right. you know, maybe we, we shouldn't have thought about that permissive parenting five-star review approach. Cause it's really not working at 18. Um, so right. I was like, go ahead, get a copy of the book, read it. So it's funny, but it, it hits home. It does. And it's so great when you speak their language. Um, we have a, yes. Hey, from yeah. Texas, from Rebecca. Hey, Rebecca. Welcome. Um, so what makes you qualified? And I know, so, but I want you to tell everyone makes, yeah. makes you qualified to talk about entitled teenagers. Oh God. Well, I have five actually. Well, they're not all five teenagers. Uh, they were five, five, five children. children. Yeah. I have one girl and four boys from the ages of 15 to thir- 29. Um, okay. and, um, I also am a behavior analyst, so I spend a lot of time working with adults with um, autism. I run a, a center for adults with autism, actually. And so the, the the basic fundamental principles of behavior analysis is the reward system. You reward good behavior and you do not reward bad behavior you don't want to see again. And this right. is crucial with kids with autism, especially if they're nonverbal or they're engaging in self-injurious behaviors, right? So I, I really understood that through my graduate school program. Um, you, you want to keep them alive. I mean, you want to keep them healthy. You want, But then I realized, my God, like we're not employing these same principles with our neurotypical kids, right? And why aren't we doing that? I mean, why don't right. we understand like the science and the data showing if we reward a tantrum, we will see another tantrum. If we reward 
amazing, great behavior, we'll see more amazing, great behavior, right? It's really, you don't have to go through, you know, a doctorate degree to get this information, but I, you know, um, it's helpful to do that. But um, you do understand that this principle should be used with neurotypical kids too. And, and the consequences are equally grave. I mean, who wants a 40 year old living in their basement unemployed? I mean, that's tough for right. everybody all around. Like, no, it's funny, but it's also pretty sad, right? And it's your job to get your kid independent. So yeah, that's yeah. our main job as parents, to get them to be independent, yeah. good people. So, so through my personal experience, and I would say the graduate, you know, my, my graduate studies in behavior analysis is kind of where I came up with, don't be a pussy. So <laughs> the I culmination. Uniquely <laughs> and overly qualified with the five five yeah. children. Um, you've gone through this five times, mm-hmm. and you're, I guess you're still going through it with a couple of them on the, the younger ones. Yeah, the, the younger yeah. ones are like, they picked it up faster, you know? They watch the older ones go through it, so they're like, all right, all right, we won't be a pussy. We'll get it oh, done. thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please, yeah. Parent yourself already. Thank because, God. Because, yeah. Um, I just want to say that everybody who's watching, you have a chance to win a signed copy of this very funny book if you uh, share this video with somebody you think might need it, share it on page, whatever, and um, we're going to pick somebody to win a signed copy. So, Elizabeth, do you think that we have more entitlement in our teenagers now than we used to? Oh, for sure. I I would say that never in across history, across different cultures, I would say even across different religions, the universal parenting mode has always been that there's a hierarchy, the parents from the child Mm -hmm. that has been, like I said, across time, culture, religion. And I think that has radically changed certainly in the United States. I I can't speak for the rest of the world as clearly. I I would imagine it hasn't as much for some reason. I think it has in the United States. Um, And I, and I understand that the pendulum does tend to swing left and then right and left and right. But again, behavior analysis is based on data and based on data. If you allow a child who's tantruming or, or not going to work or not, performing the way they should, behaving the way they should, and, and you reward that and you and you tolerate that, you're just going to see more of it. Um, so we're shaping our kids, um, whether we realize it or not, right? So, yeah. and I would say there is, I guess, the political climate, the COVID threw everyone into a loop. Mm-hmm. I think social media with this instant five-star review, I think parents are looking for an instant five-star review from their kids and parenting is a long-term game, right? That's true. You're not you're not going to get your, you're not going to get your, your, uh, you're not going to see your, the results of your work until they're working and forming good relationships with good partners and making good friends and independent. Then you say, ah, it happened. It worked, but you're not going to see that at 15. You're not really sure yet. You're still working at it. So right. I think that in certain stages of parenting, um, if they don't hate you, you're not doing it right. <laughs> in a way, I mean, they in love way. you, but it's, it's, if they're not angry at you because you are the boundary, you're giving right. them the structure, you're giving them the boundary and it's their job to rebel against the boundary. Um, so, that's so I, yeah, I, I, I agree to a certain degree, but they shouldn't have to hate you if they know that what you're doing is right. Right. <laughs> right. So uh, that leads into an interesting um, uh, sociologist and psychiatrist that I studied called Diane Bomrond in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. She came up with four parenting archetypes. And when you start to imagine you're one of those four and there's only four. And if you really think about it, you're like, you're going to fall into one of those four. Okay. So it helps you understand what kind of parent you are. So the first parent is the, the permissive parent, right? The mm-hmm. one that says yes to everything. So we all know those. Then okay. there's then there's um, the dictator, which is the extreme opposite. The dictator just says my way or the highway. I'm not discussing right. it. I'm not explaining it. I'm not going to hear you out. It's just my way. You don't mm-hmm. want either one of those. The third one is the absent parent. You don't want that either. The parent that's no. just kind of rolling the dice and maybe you'll get lucky and have like a super 
amazing, successful child who's happy and independent, but maybe not. It's right. just a roll of the dice. And the fourth one is the one that you want to aspire to. It's the fair judge. It's the one that's Ooh. taking time to really be clear. These are the rules I'm going to tolerate. These are the rules I'm not. We can have a verbal agreement. We can have a written agreement. However it is, your job as the fair judge, just like a judge in court, you know the rules. I've been very clear with the rules. So if you break them, it's on you, not on yeah. me. You shouldn't have to hate me because we agreed to this. I'm not going to tolerate self-interest behavior, illegal behavior, you know, universally accepted immoral behavior. These mm -hmm. are, And here are the specifics. I'm not going to accept you not picking up the phone, failing out of school, et cetera. But I'm fine if you want to wear, you know, a crazy hat to school or if, you know, if you, if you call me at 12 and say, mom, can I stay out till 1230? I'm having such a good time with my friends. I'll be cool with that. Whatever it is, just be clear. So the fair judge is clear. Um, and when you realize that, you know, you want to stay in that fair judge lane, but on a bad day, you're going to fall into one or the other. You're going to fall into being <laughs> permissive or absent or the dictator, right? So you Thank probably- Thank God. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Because we can't always be the fair no. judge. We try exactly. and it, it's what we aspire to, but- it's hard. Right. I mean, I, I fall into dictator immediately. I don't have time. I don't want to talk about it. It's just my way. Right. And then I'm like, here I am. So, um, but then I try and self-correct back into the fair judge. So I would argue that the child never has to hate you. They may hate like the fact that you proved them wrong because you yes. agreed on this and you did it, but they shouldn't have to hate you actually. Um, because if you were a good judge and cleared out, it cleared up the law and be in uh, from the very beginning, it's clear. There's not, there's nothing to argue. Okay. Right? Good. Good. Yeah. Um, I I did a, a interview with someone a while back and we were talking about chores and allowance and helping around the house. And I was shocked. I got all of these insane amounts of comments of people saying, ready, children should not have to do chores. Children should just be children. They shouldn't have responsibilities other than school and growing up. And I, I was kind of shocked about that. What's your opinion on that? Well, you're just having your kids be behind the eight ball because once they grow up and go out into the real world, they haven't had those years of practice right. of showing right. up on time. So now you're sending your 18 year old to college and let's say they're in a dorm full of kids that actually had parents make them do chores and be responsible. Your kids now have to catch up. And, and sure. let's now, now they're four years behind, right? So mm -hmm. why wouldn't you want your kids to start life off on an even playing field? I mean, if we're even going to go globally speaking, you know, we're competing against China, right? And mm -hmm. other countries where um, people do have chores and very strong right. um, requirements on their children. So, I mean, maybe some of that's a bit extreme for some people, and I understand that, but certainly having zero responsibility your entire life growing up, you're way behind the eight ball. So look at it pragmatically. Don't even look at it as a right or wrong issue. I mean, look at the long-term effect it's going to have on your kid. It's not good. That is a great way to think about it. Yeah. And I think that having responsibilities in the house reinforces the idea that we're a family, we're a team, and you're mm -hmm. you're not entitled. You're not the prince of this house, you know, for mommy to serve only. And it it, it also just makes them have an, in, be invested in the in the family as a team. Well, and you're also limiting them to understand what they're capable of. It's funny. I just finished a book. I know it's an old one. Everyone's read it years ago. The, where the crawdad sings about this little girl mm -hmm. that you probably remember it. That was um raised by her, basically raised herself in, in the swamp and, you know, winded up 
writing all these great, it's a true story. So obviously we don't want to raise our children alone in the swamp, but when we no. give them responsibility, you don't want them to fail, but you always want to push them a little further than you think they mm-hmm. can handle. I think that's the rule in life, right? Like take on right. a project that's about 10% beyond what you think you can do and push yourself there. Because if it's, if it's too easy, it's boring. And if it's too right. hard, you'll fail and you'll quit. But you want to have a little bit of something, a little bit of like a, a challenge, challenge, right? And yeah. so- when a, when a five-year-old says, oh my God, look at me, I cleaned all the dishes and I put them all the way, I didn't break a single one, that kid's kind of feeling good about himself, right? Mm-hmm. But if you say, no, no, don't worry, I'll, I'll do it, they'll never know they were capable. I mean, that's a silly example, but you know, obviously the game right. examples get more serious as you get older, right? So push your kids into being able to say, wow, I never knew I could do that, right? And help them, guide them as a parent, rather than taking that that learning time away from them, that learning experience away from them. Exactly. I'm going to push to the comments so everyone can see it, um, the book. And there's a link. Let's see. Is it going? Hopefully. I think it did. We'll see. Um, this this is Elizabeth's book. And if you want to win a signed copy, share this video with somebody who might also need it. Um, it, it <laughs> the book is for teenagers as well as parents, correct? It sure is. You know, I do a lot of work in charities over the years, and I kind of realized one day, my God, there isn't a single charity for traumatized parents. And how many of them do we know? (laughs) Let's start one right now. (laughs) I know. So I thought, well, maybe I won't start a charity for traumatized parents, but I'll I'll write the book and see if that will help them out a little bit. I don't know. Maybe we'll join bond over that. Yeah, it's funny. So it is definitely for parents and for their kids. Yeah. Okay. Um, I I love the idea of just like leaving that on your teens unmade bed with piles yeah, of clothing. Exactly. Um, well, it's funny because I, when I have read it to a few teens that I thought were a bit, um, that, that were pussies, basically, they, they go, oh, this is so great. I know so many people like that. And I kind of, they don't recognize them. themselves. What about yeah. you? And they're like, yes, yeah. I'm not, that's not me. And I think, well, if I were your mom, I'd say, sweetheart, there's a reason I left it on your bed. I, I really feel like you're falling into this like, potential behavioral problem. But most people don't recognize in themselves. No, and by the way, not. You know, to be fair, I think I wrote it for myself in part because there are days I wake up and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, my God, it's so hard. My life is so tough. COVID and this. Totally. And that. And my, you know, I can't even, I don't know, my whatever it is, my problems are so. And then I think, my God, what's wrong with me? I mean, like, suck it up. Like, yeah. Don't be a pussy. Get on with your day. So, I mean, frankly, we all totally. have moments. I'm not Put it all in perspective. There. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I wrote it for myself, too. Don't feel bad. We can all be pussies. We just got to. Life's right. getting tougher and tougher. I mean. For all of us, politically, I think that things are becoming very unstable here in the United States. And these are times when we have to be stronger and tougher, actually, to be Mm -hmm. able to weather through them. This isn't the time that we get to have Wellness Wednesdays, as was employed in my son's school. And I said, oh, my goodness, Wellness Wednesday. I'm like, you should like, what if you were in World War II dodging bombs? Like, we wouldn't be like, well, don't worry. No time time for wellness. No, you got to meditate. Exactly. You know, that's the the thing about like, you know, people that grew up in the Depression, they're like, why, you know, why is everyone depressed? We didn't have time to be depressed. We were right, in the depression. Right. Like, you know, um, I also, with my kids, we read over, you know, many months, all the little house on the prairie books as bedtime oh, yeah. stories. Mm-hmm. And we have returned to that time and time again, because they were, you know, it was amazing to read an entire chapter about one shore, right. And how Laura does this chore with her family yeah. and how they, like they have no choice. This is how they survive. And sure. also they get um, a sense of accomplishment, like you were saying, and like, I'm, I'm a big girl. I helped mama and dad with this. 
And so, so many times in our family, we're like, well, what would Laura have to do right now? Like, you <laughs> yeah, only have Lori to take the do. dishes out of the dishwasher. You don't have That's to right. walk to a well, get the water, bring it up. Exactly. It, you know? Um, so I think it helps to give kids uh, examples or stories, things that they can like visualize of um, what real hardware looks like if they, yeah. you know. And I and I I'm afraid to misquote the statistic, but going back to the idea that it's not just making them feel good about helping, but I think I want to say something like 50%, and don't quote me on this, everyone should look this up. No, 50% of under uh, people between the ages of 30 and 50 are still living at are now living at home yeah. with their parents. Yeah. And I know partially this was exasperated by COVID. Right. But I don't it was think happening we saw, before COVID as well. Right. I don't think we saw those numbers like during the Vietnam War or during World War II. I, I, I'm, I think those numbers have spiked in the United States to levels we've never mm-hmm. seen. That's something we really need to think about as parenting. How do I best make sure that my child can live an independent life? When they grow right. up, and certainly right. being able to clean out the dishes is one of those huge. <laughs> Got to do the dishes. <laughs> Start there. Um, <laughs> what's one of? I'm wondering if you have an amusing story. What is one of the most entitled things you have heard, or, or, or you know, a kid has said or done that you know, and you don't oh have to. God. I have one, and she's going to laugh <laughs> if she's listening. But I'm not going to say her name. When I had a Good. friend, okay. uh, yeah, yeah, this was great. You know, she um, <laughs> she called me. She's my had a huge fight with like my 17 year old. I said, Oh no, what happened today? She said, well, a, I told him no smoking pot in the house. I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear it. I'm against it. If you do it with your friends and I can't stop you, what am I going to do? But I don't want to know about it. Right. And then she said, well, he says it's his home. He gets to do it. And then he got angry that I didn't clean out his bong for him. Oh my God. Okay. That definitely <laughs> takes the cake. Uh, that the is his home. Mom yeah, didn't clean my bong. Yeah, mom didn't clean my book. And actually I I did I did make my first page of the book. There's a little blurbs and like funny little quotes. And if you notice on the first page, you see dad's like chucking the kids out of the house saying, uh, act politely with pleasure or get out of my house is one of the lines. And then right. the mom saying, all oh, this because I didn't clean your bong, you know. So um, <laughs> you it yeah, we, that's great. Yeah. And uh, I, I wouldn't say she's the only one that's had that problem where kids are um, really we're here to work for them, basically. And that's just um, something flipped, something flipped in the last, I would say, seven, eight years, I think, in the United States. Yeah. Because I don't even remember this being a problem seven or eight years ago as, as or certainly it was in certain homes, but it wasn't supported in social media and in television and, you know, mm-hmm. in movies. And this this idea that the parent is somewhere beneath the child is, is, is supported by media everywhere right now. That these right. kids have all these rights. Even the teachers are afraid to say something to their kids, yeah, right? It's awful. extended to the school. So now the kids feel they trump the teacher and the parent. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and people say, well, what do I do? My kid says, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to clean my room. I'm not doing my homework and you really should clean my bond. Like, what am I supposed to say? And I always say the same thing to parents. Well, I asked parents, do you pay for their phone bill? And they said, well, obviously. And I said, turn it the fuck off. I mean, I don't know exactly. Like, seriously, you have leverage. I can't do that. Chicken. It'll it'll take 12 hours. It'll take 12 hours before they're on their knees begging for you to turn it back on. And this time you say, sure, but here's a written agreement. Since we had a verbal one, that that. didn't work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the next step. If written agreements don't work, you move on to a, I mean, verbal agreements don't work. You move on to a written one. You wrote it down. If these five things aren't done, I'm not even going to tell you. I'm just going to turn off your phone. I love you so much. You're so handsome. You're so sweet. You're so beautiful, but it's going to happen. So it's your choice, right? Mm -hmm. Turn off the phone. It's yeah. leverage you have probably after college still. <laughs> Use it. It's the strongest thing you got. 
Yeah, putting it in black and white is is so helpful. Um, We we did it during the pandemic. We did a a schedule and I was resistive of that because I'm not a schedule kind of person, but my husband made the kids a schedule and it was color coded and it was like, these are the things you have to do. And, you know, and certain things come before screen time or or play time. And like they take it seriously now. The kids will now remind me and they'll be like, oh, no, if this is the scheduled time. I don't know, something right. about it being on paper makes it very official for them. And then you don't have to keep saying it over and over. I mean, I how many times do I have I literally just pointed at the paper? I've been like, right. Well, the key, the key with that system, though, of course, is to always follow through with what you say you'll do. Mm. They don't follow their rules. Right. So you can't not turn off the phone. I mean, that's back to the behavioral analytic. If you see a rat in a cage, it's going to keep on pressing the lever as it's getting all its pellets. Mm -hmm. It stops receiving pellets. It's going to stop pressing the lever. I mean, I don't mean to compare us all to rats, but the behavior is the same. Uh, Slot machine. If you sat a slot machine for two days and nothing came out, you get up and you walk away. It's just not producing any three and four is you're going to leave. But if you think it may come, it may not come, you'll still play around with it, right? You'll still hang around that slot machine and hopefully something will come out and you think there's a chance because there is a chance because you've seen repeatedly. So if the punishment may come or may not come, they'll mess around with that schedule. That's human nature. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's the same thing with, with work. If you went to work and your boss paid you if you showed up or not, you know, you'd probably show up a lot less. <laughs> I'd show up a little late. I mean, uh, we all would. I mean, how stressed would you be to work, show up to work late if there was never a single consequence, right? I know I have trouble as a parent with the follow through. And a lot of it is because um, what is easier in the moment is to not do the follow through, right? But then right. you realize in the moment when you are like, so um, everything is going to hell, basically. You're like, it's, do, it's going to hell because I haven't followed through so many times in the past. And there's this cumulative effect of the parent, like you have to parent for the future almost. Is how right. You have to parent. And then I go back to that fair judge. And, you know, I've actually, one of my best friends is a Supreme Court judge here in Nassau County. Cool. Um, and, and I, and I see and hear about the details that she has to go through with every case, the hours that she spends evaluating both sides of the situation um, following up, you know, and I, and I realized this is the hardest way to parent. It's very time consuming, but then later she's now got kids in their twenties and one's a lawyer and one works in this great company for marketing. And, and, uh, she did her work when they were younger, you know, and now mm-hmm. it's super easy. And yeah. for those parents that didn't do that work and they got kids in their twenties, it's, it's really tough because you're, you're losing your leverage. You know, some of mm-hmm. them may be supporting themselves somewhat ish or finding other people to support them or something. So unfortunately you, you've lost your leverage and it's very hard to change behavior as an adult. It's very easy yeah. to change behavior as a three-year-old. So I always tell people, right. if you giggle and laugh when your three-year-old is throwing a fit, just picture them being 19 and doing that. It's not so funny, right? You're mm-hmm. going to quickly realize, let me shape this behavior now, not at 19. Right. Don't yeah. fall into that shop because they're cute and little and you think it's funny. You know, you got to really yeah. take it seriously when they're little. Well, it also gets to a point, you know, when they're three and they won't leave the playground, um, you can pick them up and make them leave the playground. But when they're 19 and they don't want to leave something, you're not, that's not going to happen. So you, you, you lose that. So right. you, you need to um, have trained. much better. So we talked yeah. about the consequences, like turning off someone's phone, the consequences for not good behavior, but you being uh, an expert in this, you know, there's also the positive reinforcement part of it. Oh, so yeah. 
what kind of positive reinforcement can, can you do? Well, I'm glad you brought that up and I should have brought that up earlier because we should always think in our minds that as much as we're, we're correcting unwanted behavior in the mm-hmm. same time, we should be encouraging the behavior that we see that we want to see more of. So you may say, honey, you didn't put your dishes away, but I love the way you tied your shoes. They look great. That I mean, Find something, make sure you're reinforcing. Even if there's nothing to reinforce, find something to reinforce. Really? So they remember, right. So they, they see that you're equally correcting them, but also telling them this is the behavior I want to see more of. This is the behavior mm-hmm. I want to see less of. And often we, and I do this too, we all fall into this moment where we feel like good parenting is constantly correcting them, right? Mm-hmm. That's, only that, half, yeah. that's only half of the story. Because if you're not encouraging every little good thing they're doing, they're not going to understand what the good stuff is, right? Because there's zero reinforcement and they don't know that you actually liked it. So thank you so much, honey, for showing up to dinner on time. Oh my gosh, I love the way you, you know, put your book bag by the door. So it's ready for the morning, whatever, even smallest thing. I mean, obviously the big things too, like, thank you so much for giving me a hug. It meant the world to me that you just came up to me and hugged me point out those things to them so that they remember, Oh mom, like that because we assume they know it, but they don't always know it. You can't make those assumptions just like you can't assume they don't know to do something. You can't necessarily assume they do know that you like it. So try and do is for every 10 corrections, do 10 compliments a day. Wow. Yeah. That is a challenge. That is because yeah. as a busy mom, you're like, you know, uh, trying to get out the door in the morning. And of course they have to brush their teeth and I shouldn't have to tell them because, you know, my kids are old enough to know that. And so I don't say, oh, good. This morning we got out the door on time because you did your things. But the mornings that they don't, I'm I'm pretty pissed. Right. <laughs> yelling. Exactly. They're yelling and it's awful. And we always yeah. forget to get and say, thanks, guys, for all remembering to brush your teeth and getting in the car on time. This is amazing. Let's see if we can do this again tomorrow. I so appreciate it because I have a crazy day today. Thank you so much. That mm-hmm. goes a long way. And we forget to do that. I think we forget to do that with our spouses sometimes, too. You know, I, I know. I think in our I friends, know. I think we have to remember to, to say those things. Maybe I do it more to my friends. I don't know if I think about anyway to remind myself to do it not only to the kids, but to the spouses, too, or the partners or whoever it is. Yeah, that's co-parenting. Yeah, have a co-parent. Yeah. Um, I feel like the teen, your, your book is, you know, it says teenagers in the title, but of course this applies. You start, as you said, you start when they're young. Um, but do you notice this? I feel like the, the teenage years are starting earlier and earlier. Uh, Um, you know, I think that depends on the child. So in Mm -hmm. my family, I had some that were very late bloomers and some that were early bloomers. So I, I would say it depends on the child. And at the same token, the reinforcers, so the same way that every child is different, you have to unfortunately parent every child differently. So Mm -hmm. some kids are going to require more reinforcements. Some are going to require less. I I don't know about, well, I would imagine because of social media and and television that there is this on uh, one side that they're growing up faster. On the other side, we're taking away a lot more responsibility. Laura Ingalls, for instance, at 12 was probably far more mature than the average 12 year old today. So the average 12 year old girl, let's say is lipstick on and maybe like looking a little older and pretending she, but she's in fact not older, right? right. She's she's not acting older than her age. She's actually acting much younger than Laura Ingalls. She wouldn't be able to walk two miles to a well and bring back water and sort it all out before her school day started. Right. So they may pretend that they're becoming more adult quicker. They look like it and they're taking the responsibilities they think are owed to them, but they haven't earned those responsibilities. So in fact, not really going to be able to perform like an older person. Right. Think they are. (laughs) That's my opinion on that. That is great. Wow. Yeah, that's so true. It's, 
I, I guess what I was I'm saying is I'm seeing this emulation of teenager behavior um, in you know ten year olds and eleven year olds, and they I'm I'm noticing the kids that I know imitating the teenagers that they see on some TV shows or something that the whole attitude of sort of, right. you know, everything sucks and entitlement. And so they're starting to do that so much younger. Um, but uh, yeah, but, that doesn't mean they're mature. Right. That just means they're imitating this bad behavior. Well, you could just say, sweetheart, if you think that, you know, you're, you're such a grown up, I get it. And you know, you, you definitely need to get your teeth clean. Why don't you call the dentist to make an appointment and then um, we can download an Pay Uber app and you can take yeah. an Uber to your dentist as well, because if you're such right. an adult at 10, you should be able to do that and then see yeah. how far they get on that test. Right. Yeah. And make pay, a dentist pay for the dentist too. Do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, even, even forget that, just make the appointment, yeah. <laughs> forget the Uber even, There's let's see if so you can call and make an appointment with a dentist. I mean, cause that's what, if you think you're 10 and all grown up, like you should be able to do that. Right. So go mm-hmm. for it. Let's see how, how far you get. So acknowledge, great. You want to be an adult. Terrific. But here are some tasks. I need you to also make dinner tonight. That's okay. Yeah. You're yeah. An adult, so that's cool. So you should be able to do that. Right. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe they'll be able to do it. If they do. They might. For them. Yeah. People great. are shocked. Um, my son's been making dinner since he was about nine every once in a while. Like he'll, he'll make the dinner. And you know, when he was much younger, I would stand nearby and be working and watching and making sure he doesn't, you know, blow up the kitchen or something. But they're actually, if you, if I feel like if you give them tasks when they're younger and they're eager to do the tasks, right. Because they haven't gotten into that entitled teenager stage yet. They want to be grown up and do the task. Then they learn the task so that they already know it by the time. Yeah. I'm not sure if so much should be an option when they're young. (laughs) I think the task (laughs) should be just a rule. I mean, I think there's also a way to say, these are rules and these are options. So mm-hmm. I often use the expression of my kids. I was like, oh, honey, I wasn't asking, honey. It's not optional. Uh, sorry. Right. That maybe I wasn't clear. It, I'm, I'm yes. telling you to do this. I'm not asking. And other times mm-hmm. I'm like, well, this one I'm asking for. Maybe you want to do it. You, mm-hmm. you know, there are things I'm asking. Like, I really don't like that outfit. Could you change? I'm asking. Right. It's not optional because frankly, if you like to wear the pink and purple together, go ahead. I don't care. But I prefer you change. But that's an option. And then other times I say, mm-hmm. mm, yeah, but yeah, you know, cleaning up your room is not an option. So sorry, yes. just yeah. And it's very good to be clear, mm-hmm. like a fair judge. Be clear what's an option, what's not. Cooking, Definitely. I don't know. Maybe, you know, if you really want that child, you look at these Chinese kids that are playing piano like Beethoven at the age of six. I mean, the ability we have, and we always say that we only use like 10% of our minds, mm-hmm. right? But like by by not making them do certain things that they can do when they're younger, we're not, we're not expanding their minds. We're not giving them, showing them the opportunity of what they can do. Um, and I, I think that extends to all of us as even as grownups. I mean, I remember opening up my business as a 50 year old woman and I was like, Oh, I don't know if I can do this. This is something other people do. And I kind of just jumped in and figured it out and had hiccups, you know? So this, ex- and you can tell your kids that too, look, I'm an adult and I'm nervous too. Right. And I'm not sure I can do this, but I'm going to take on this task. It's probably about 25% more than I think I can handle, but I'm going to go for it and quickly learn that 25% along the way that I don't think I know. Right. And we make so, mistakes and we fail and they should do right. that too. And it's okay for your kids to see you're vulnerable and you're nervous too. And I come home, I said, Oh my God, I had a great day. My kids are reinforcing me. They're like, mom, good job. You know? So you kind of want them to kind of reinforce you back. Right. But if they think that they've never shown your vulnerable side to them, if you didn't say I was scared to do this too, I was nervous to fail. So I was in grad school the last five years that my kids were in finishing high school or one still in high school. But so we sat around the table and did a lot of homework together. So we used to compare notes and homework. Oh, cool. the test. So that was a little stressful. My kids were like, yeah, so, you know, we got A's. What'd you get mom? And I'm like, oh, you know, I got a 
<clears throat> a B plus, but okay. So <laughs> next time we should go harder. <laughs> that vulnerability, yes. that vulnerability to show your kids that you're trying to do the best you can as well. Um, as long as you are firm with, you're still the boss because you're paying for everything and you're just raising them and you yeah, just have the years of experience behind you. But that vulnerability is, is good to show them, I think. In my case, that is, definitely. Well. that is a great place to end. You are the boss. Do not forget <laughs> <laughs> that you are the boss and it's for their own good. And that's, yeah. I'm going to, this is the book. Here we go. Don't be a pussy, a politically incorrect book for entitled teens and their traumatized parents. Um, that's it. Somebody who shares this video is going to get a signed copy from Elizabeth. And um, Elizabeth, do you have a website or some social media accounts people want to look at and follow? Um, well, I, I have my my gallery, um, 22 Bayville. It's at Gallery 22 Bayville, which is my studio for adults with autism. And we practice behavior analysis, which is very much about what we talked about with adults with autism there. Um, so please come and check us out. And if you ever feel like you're having a bad day, look at what these amazing um, students are doing with their disabilities and keeping in mind and still what they're able to accomplish. And if you ever feel like, you know, oh, I can't do it, it's too much, just look at what these guys are doing and then say to yourself, no, I, I can do this too. So suck it up and don't be a pussy. Suck it up. <laughs> don't be a pussy. Thank you so much for talking with us. This was really fun.